So glad that you're with us today at Life Center. If I haven't met you, my name is Tyler. And today we are going to pivot from our Good Life series into what we've really woven as a thread throughout our year. We're going to jump into our Family Life series. And today, over the next few minutes, I want to share a message with you that I've entitled, A Courageous Opportunity. Can you say courage? A courageous opportunity. In a moment, we are going to go to an Old Testament book. We're going to go to the book of 1 Kings, chapter 18. If you're new to Scripture, it's, it's a little bit towards the front of your Bible, and it's going to be up on the screen in just a moment. But have you ever noticed that two people can look at the same exact thing, and one person can see this act as crazy, and another person can see that same act as courageous. I've noticed that there's a very thin line between what we sometimes would call courageous and what others we just simply call crazy. Now, for me, my dad, he had a painting company here in the Puget Sound area for a number of decades. And what that meant was in fifth grade, Basically, every Saturday, every spring break, every summer break, every winter break, I was working with my dad. And I remember watching him and, and the things that he would do on a ladder. As a young man, I looked at it and I'm like, I think my dad's crazy. I, you, you should not do that. And I, I would look at dynamics, you know, he's up there with a paintbrush, he's up there with a roller, he's up there with a spray gun, he's leaning way over, masking something, and I'm thinking to myself as a young kid, Dad, what are you doing? See, there's things in your life that people look at you, and they think, wow, you're courageous. But listen, there's other things that you do, and people look at you, and you don't know they say this about you, but they think you're crazy. They think you're just out of your mind. And what I didn't recognize in that moment is my dad understood some things that my perspective I did not understand. You see, I remember one time in particular, we were working on this house. It was a large house, three stories on the backside that went down to this hillside. And on the very top of the roof, my dad had to get up there to paint a chimney. And I remember looking at this situation going, okay, I, I have no idea how we're going to do this. And my dad goes, oh, this is easy. Grab two ladders. It's like, okay. So we put the first ladder up on the second story deck, which went to the roof line. My dad climbed up that ladder, took the second ladder, laid it up on the roof. And I'm thinking, this is crazy. And then we had my uncle with us. He stood on the bottom of the ladder on the deck. My dad climbed up and he said, all right, Tyler, come up here. And I'm like, I'm, I'm good. He goes, no, 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 you got this. You got, you got to trust me. And so I climbed up that first ladder and he said, all right, Tyler, here's what you're going to do. You're going to stand on the top of the first ladder, stabilize the second ladder by holding on to the fascia. And then he looked at me with these words, whatever you do, don't let go. And I remember over the next number of minutes, I'm standing there holding on to that fascia going, Jesus, this would be a good time for you to return. <laughs> I, I don't know if I can do this. But, but here was the dynamic. My dad understood something. He had a perspective that was different than mine. 
He understood what it was to work in these environments, in these moments. You see, there's a lot of things in our lives that, that what some might call crazy, other things we look at and we say, man, it's not crazy. It just requires some, some courage. And here's what separates the difference between crazy and courageous. You want to know what it is? I think it boils down to two things, perspective and information. Perspective and information. A number of years ago, a, a movie came out called Free Solo. It documented the journey of Alex Honnold as he climbed up the face of El Capitan without ropes. And most people who have ever rock climbed in their lives are looking at that going, that is crazy. For Alex, though, listen, he's looking at it going, it's not crazy. Because he has some perspective and some information. He's trained for it. He did it time and time again, running through the route so many times that what some looked at as crazy, he simply saw it as a moment of courage. Here's what I want you to know today. Whether you're a father, a mother, a small business owner, you're in transition in your life, understand this. Life presents unending opportunities to be courageous. Think about it for a moment. Saying yes to that new career takes courage. Finishing the degree that you've been pursuing in your 40s or your 50s, guess what? That takes courage. Making the decision to discipline your finances, to line up with your faith in God and also your long-term goals, that takes courage. Saying goodbye to some toxic friendships or toxic environments, guess what? That takes courage. Making the decision to prioritize your physical and mental health, that takes courage. Creating new habits and patterns as you break cycles of addiction and choose to walk out sobriety. Can I tell you, that takes courage. You want to know what else takes courage? Deciding to be intentional with your family. If you're going to be intentional with your family, in your marriage, in your relationship with your kids, extended family, if you're going to be intentional, guess what? That means you're going to have to make some courageous decisions. Decisions that aren't always easy. See, a lot of people, we, we want the fruit of healthy families. We just don't want to engage in the discipline or the work that gets the fruit that we desire. A lot of times we, we have uphill hopes with downhill habits, don't we? And it's true in the area of, of our families. And one of the things that we have to lean into is if we're going to have healthy families, it's going to require courage. Healthy, intentional families. It needs it. It needs courage. And if this is true, let me ask you this question. What is it that you look to to deepen or develop courage in your life? That's why I want us to look together to 1 Kings chapter 18. If you have your Bibles, would you join me there? 1 Kings chapter 18. We're going to read a few verses of scripture today. But before we get there, let me give you some background and context of what we're about to read. You see, God in the Old Testament, he, he made a covenant with a man named Abraham whose family would eventually become the people of Israel. They were chosen by God to, to represent and walk out this covenant relationship, which ultimately was going to lead to the blessing of mankind, ultimately realized in the New Testament through the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. 
And so through this covenant relationship that Israel had, they had moments where they were on point with their walk with God, and there was moments where they drifted. They, they kind of had high points and low points, high points, low points, high points, low points. Anybody else ever experienced that in your life? This is the journey of the people of Israel. And one of the things that God did is he raised up judges to help bring correction at different moments where Israel was out of bounds or out of alignment with what he expected of them. Eventually, the people, they didn't want judges. They asked for kings to rule over them. God gave them the desire of their heart. And so kings began to rule over the people of Israel, but also God would raise up prophets and that's where we find ourselves. We're going to look at a prophet that God raised up who would be a voice both to the kings, but also to the people of Israel. We're going to read a little bit about a man named Elijah. Elijah was a prophet to the people of God. And something happens because the word of the Lord comes to Elijah and God says to Elijah, here's what I want you to do. I want you to prophesy that it's not going to rain for three and a half years. How many of you would love to have that spiritual gift right now in Western Washington? I mean, he, he speaks the word of the Lord and it does not rain in the land for three and a half years. Understand, this creates a famine and a crisis and pressure, not only for the people of Israel, but for the king of Israel. His name is Ahab. After he prophesies this, God tells Elijah to go to this small brook and to drink from this brook. And God is going to provide miraculously with food. How does he do that? He sends ravens to deliver his meals. This is like the early version of Uber Eats, ladies and gentlemen. God provides miraculously. And Elijah is there. And, and in that moment, catch this, Elijah is learning something about the character and nature of God. That God has him. God's going to provide. God's going to take care of him. Pretty soon the brook dries up. The word of the Lord comes to Elijah and says, okay, now I want you to go to a distant land and, and I've already set apart a widow who's going to take care of you. Go find her. So Elijah goes and she takes care of him. And then three and a half years passes. The word of the Lord comes to Elijah and says, okay, go talk to King Ahab because I'm going to send rain, but we need to deal with the heart of my people. And that's where we find ourselves, 1 Kings chapter 18. Look with me to verse 17. It says this. When King Ahab saw Elijah, Ahab said to him, Is that you, the one ruining Israel? Ahab is convinced, Elijah, all of the problems we are facing is because of you and your big mouth prophesying that it's going to rain. And I love Elijah's response. He replied, I have not ruined Israel, but you and your father's family have. Because you have abandoned the Lord's commands and followed the false god called Baal. Now summon all Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel, along with the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab summoned all of Israel and gathered the prophets at Mount Carmel. Then Elijah approached all the people and said, How long will you Waver. Can you say waver? How long will you waver between two opinions? Now there's a powerful word picture here because this imagery that Elijah is using is an individual who is walking this path and they approach a fork in the road. Before them is, is two options or two 
opinions. And Elijah here is describing what God's people in Israel have been doing. They've been going back and forth as they continue to walk this path. But as the path gets further and further, how many know? It gets harder and harder, and eventually you have to choose one. See, the people of Israel, they, they found themselves wavering between opinions. And, and this is what that looks like. I, I want God's blessing, but I want to do it my way. We want God's favor and him to stop the famine, but we want to keep worshiping Baal. And Elijah says, how long? And, and I know none of us have ever experienced this in our lives where, where God, I want your blessing on my family, but I want to live life my way. God, I want a healthy marriage, but I also want the right to act like a jerk sometimes. Now, I know none of us, we would ever say that, right? But this is that dynamic of wavering and going back and forth. And, and here's the challenge. Sometimes we find ourselves in this place where the distance between the two gets so far and we get stuck in the wrong place. And what we need to understand if we are going to be people who follow God with all of our heart, we have to make a courageous decision to choose his path. But what that means is there's going to be people in your world, people in your family, people in your workplace who will look at you and the decisions that you make and say, what you are doing is crazy. It's crazy. You, you trust in a God that you can't even see? You, you give freely of your time to serve? You set aside a portion of your finances to worship God. Crazy. And what some people may call crazy, understand, it's actually just courageous. It's just courageous. Elijah says, how long are you going to waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. But the people didn't answer him a word. Elijah then sets up what they're going to do. There's going to be this showdown on the mountaintop that day. And he says, okay, prophets of Baal, here's what we're going to do. You get to choose a sacrifice. You get to go first. I will choose this, whatever sacrifice is left. I will go second. And the God that answers by fire and consumes the sacrifice, that's God. And it's interesting, all the people in Israel are like, we like that. Yeah, let's do that. I'm sure the prophets of Baal are like, wait, what? We didn't sign up for this. Because the instruction was clear, you got, you got to prepare the sacrifice, but you can't light the fire yourself. The God who answers by fire, that is God. Skip down to verse 26. He lets the prophets of Baal go first. So they took the bowl that he had gave them, prepared it, and called on the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, Baal, answer us. But there was no sound. No one answered they danced around their altar they had made. At noon, Elijah mocked them. Don't you love people who have the spiritual gift of sarcasm, by the way? This is exactly what's going on. Elijah begins to taunt them and mock them. He said, shout loudly, for he is a God, isn't he? Maybe he's thinking it over. Maybe he's wandered away. If you look at the Hebrew, what that literally means is maybe he's turned aside to relieve himself. Come on, that's a dig. If that's your God that you're serving, you're calling out to, continues on. Or maybe he's on the road. Perhaps he's sleeping and will wake him up. They shouted loudly and cut themselves with knives and spears according to their custom until blood gushed over them. 
All afternoon they kept on raving until the offering of the evening sacrifice, but there was no sound. No one answered. No one paid attention. Finally, Elisha, he he calls all of the people of Israel together and he demonstrates to them that now it's time for the true God, Yahweh, to have a chance. Baal didn't answer. It was silence. It was crickets on the other side. But Elijah, what does he do? Well, on Mount Carmel, there was an altar that had been set up to Yahweh at one point, but it was in disrepair. It had been broken down. So Elijah gathers 12 stones, reminding the people of their covenant identity, the 12 tribes of Israel. And he repairs the altar. He splits the wood, lays the wood, prepares the sacrifice, lays the sacrifice. And then he does something a little bit crazy. And what is that? There's four large stone jars, and he asks that those jars be filled with water, and he says, dump it on top of the sacrifice, and they do it. How many know if you're going to light something on fire, you don't usually add water to the equation? Sounds a little crazy. And then after they dump the first four, he says, do it again. So now four is eight. He says, do it a third time. Now that four, eight, and 12, once again, reinforcing Israel, this is your identity. It says this in verse 36. At the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice, the prophet Elijah approached the altar and said, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, today let it be known that you are God in Israel and I am your servant and that your word, at your word, I have done all these things. Answer me, Lord, answer me so that this people will know that you, the Lord, are God and that have turned their hearts back. Then the Lord's fire fell and it consumed the burnt offering, the wood, the stones, the dust, and it licked up the water that was in the trench. When the people, when all the people saw it, they fell face down and said, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. You see, this is the big picture purpose of this passage. What is that? God wanted the hearts of his kids back. He wanted to draw the hearts of his kids back. He wanted to capture their attention and affection once again. And they had wandered off. They had begun to worship false gods. They had drifted in their pursuit of him. And he would stop at nothing to pursue them and draw them back to himself. See, today as we consider this, here's what I want us to recognize. Because many of us, we are in places in life where we need courage. We look at Elijah and there's moments where people could look at that circumstance and say, man, what you are doing is crazy. But Elijah, he had some information about God. He had some perspective about God that was different. And here's what I know about deepening courage in our lives. Courage deepens as we discover God's character. You want to know how to deepen your courage in your walk? You want to know how to deepen your courage for those of you who are up against big decisions in your career or facing big decisions in your family or in your marriage? Guess what? Courage deepens as you discover the character of God. 
You see, it was back at the brook that Elijah discovered something about the character of God. It was when God was providing through the widow that Elijah recognized something about the character of God. It prepared him to step into that moment on Mount Carmel. Courage deepens. Why? Because he understood something about God's character. One of the greatest indicators of God's character is this, that he pursued us, not that we pursued him. You want to know the type of God that I'm speaking about today? It's the God who pursued you. The greatest indicator of his character was revealed in the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. God loved you so much, and he wants your heart so much that he was willing to come after you. It's never about our pursuit of him. It's about his pursuit of us. And ultimately, the place that God is wanting his kid's heart to get to is that they would obey him. You see, a lot of us, we, we don't like that word. That word feels a little bit legalistic or religious or heavy. But, but understand, obedience isn't the catalyst of relationship with God. Obedience is the indicator that relationship has taken place. God wanted his people to return to the place of obedience where they're walking that out. But how many of us can understand today that obedience requires something? What is that? It requires this thing called trust. I'll never obey a God that I don't fully trust. I'll never obey a God that says, Here, here's what I want you to do. I, I want you to step here. And, and many of us, we know that God is calling us to step here, but we want it this way. So we, we want blessing of God, but we want to make our own decisions. We, we want the fruit of obedience, but we don't always want the, the discipline of obedience. What's the problem there? We are wavering between two opinions. And ultimately, we need to understand, if I'm going to walk in obedience, it's going to require trust. Obedience needs trust. And guess what trust needs? Trust needs courage. Why? Because we are called to walk by faith and not by sight. See, there's going to be times when you choose to take this courageous path of following Jesus that people around you will say, what you are doing is crazy. How can you trust a God that you cannot see? How can you actually bank your entire life, not only here, but also in eternity, in something that you can't even see, sense, hear, deal with? Like, how, that, that is crazy. But can I tell you, a lot of times, what looks crazy to those who don't know Jesus is actually just the courageous journey of faith that we take every single day as followers of Jesus. Obedience needs trust. Trust needs courage. A number of years ago, I was on a hike with a friend, and we were walking through the woods, and we came up to this point in the trail where there was this old wooden bridge, and maybe you've been in a moment like this where you look at that bridge and you go, well, this is where the hike ends because I'm not putting any weight on that thing. I mean, looking at it, judging the character from here, I don't know if I can trust it. And I said, well, I guess this is where we turn around. And my friend looked at me and just laughed and walked across the bridge. And then he walked back towards me. And I was sitting there going, I, th I thought for sure that thing was going to collapse. It, it does not look like you can trust it. But here was the difference. My friend had some information and some perspective that I did not have. Because he had walked the trail before. He had crossed the bridge before. He had put his weight 
on the bridge before. You see, he understood something about the character and the nature of that bridge that I did not understand. And listen, you're going to encounter family members, coworkers, friends, people you go to school with who will question your sanity on walking across the path that you are walking. But guess what? The more that you discover the character of God, the more you know you can trust him. And the more what looks like crazy to the world around you, it's actually just courage manifesting itself as you walk forward in this journey with Jesus. Today, there's three things from this story that I want to point us to. Number one is this. Change starts with confrontation. Change starts with confrontation. My assumption is many of us, there's, there's areas in our lives, there's areas in our families, there's areas in our finances, in our physical health, in our emotions. There's a lot of stuff that we want to see change in. But here's what you need to recognize. Change does not happen without confrontation. Said a different way, what you are unwilling to confront will never change. It's true in your finances, It's true in your relationships. It's true in your marriage. It's true in how you parent. It's true in how you live your life. What you are unwilling to confront will not change by itself. And recognize this, confrontation requires courage. Confrontation requires courage. See, there's many people here today, the last thing that you want to do with any of your energy or emotion is confront something. I won't ask for a show of hands, but how many of us, if we have the option of running or confronting, we run. We run. I don't, I, I'm just gonna pretend like it doesn't exist, right? It's a little bit like Jurassic Park. If you don't move, it can't see you. Others of us, we roll out of bed, ready to just throw down with anything that moves. We are built for confrontation. We cannot lose sight of this important truth. If you want to see change in an area, you have to be willing to face it. You have to be willing to confront it. God wanted to see change in the heart of his people. So what was God willing to do? Because he loved his people, he was willing to confront his people. There's multiple confrontations that happen in this story, by the way. Elijah, he first confronts King Ahab. Ahab, as the leader, was meant to draw people towards God's plan, not away, and Ahab got off track. There was a confrontation with King Ahab. There was a confrontation with the people themselves. Elijah says, how long are you going to waver? you got to choose. Make a decision. And then he confronts 450 prophets of Baal. By the way, I'm all for sarcasm. But being sarcastic When you are one dude and there's 450 of them and all 450 of them have knives and spears, I I don't know what your definition of crazy is, but friends, that feels a little crazy to me. Like, not only is there 450 of them and they all have knives and spears, but they're crazy enough to cut themselves. What could these people do to me? And yet Elijah's not worried about it. He's actually mocking them. Elijah had learned something about the character of God. Man, I pray that we would get a glimpse of that. He's so confident in the character of God that he's willing to confront what needs to be confronted. Let me ask you, what is it that needs to change in your family? Are you willing to confront it? What needs to change in your parenting? Are you willing to confront it? 
What needs to change in your faith? Are you willing to confront it? What, what needs to change in order for you to walk out obedience in your journey with Jesus? Are you willing to confront it? You see, this is one of the things that I love about the gospel is the gospel every day continues to confront things in my life when I take lesser things and make them ultimate things. What do I mean by that? Well, that's ultimately what idolatry is. I take a lesser thing and put it in the place of an ultimate thing. Don't miss this. All, all of us have the capacity to do this. We take something that, that it's, it's important, it's significant, but we take something that is lesser and we make it ultimate in our lives. The gospel will continue to confront us where it needs to be confronted in our lives. Change starts with confrontation. Second thing I want you to know from this story is this. What you worship matters. Hear that. What you worship matters. Now don't miss this. We are all worshipers. Some of you are like, no, I'm not Tyler. I don't sing that good. In fact, earlier today, I just kind of read the words. I didn't sing out loud because I'm not a great worshiper. No, no. Worship is so much more than just singing, friends. Every single person in this place is a worshiper. In fact, these hearts ultimately become a battlefield for what we will worship. And what you worship, it matters. Some of us, we worship our, our favorite sports team. Some of us, we worship what's in our 401k or what used to be before the last few weeks. Too soon. So, some of us, we, we worship our career or our social media status or whatever it is. We, we are all worshipers. And here's the point. What you worship, it matters. Notice the difference for a moment of worship in this story. How the prophets of Baal worship compared to how Elijah worships. The prophets of Baal go on for hours and hours and hours. Elijah, it appears like he says a simple prayer in the matter of moments or minutes. Prophets of Baal, man, they are loud, they're hyper. Elijah, confident, courageous. Now catch this, I'm all about passion. I love passionate worship moments, but, but here's the, the trap that sometimes we fall into. Some of us, we are more focused on how we worship than on what we worship. Let me say that a different way. Some of us, we are more convinced that the key is how we worship than who we worship. Because at the end of the day, you can have a lot of passionate, loud, committed, what externally looks like commitment, but if you're worshiping the wrong thing, it does you no good. Understand, it's not the strength of your worship, but it's the object of your worship that matters. Strong worship towards a God that cannot answer does you no good. Don't miss this. I'm all for passion. Man, you stand up by me on Sunday morning, you'll, you'll be like, okay, Tyler, I appreciate your enthusiasm, but you are way off key. Okay, I get it, I get it. There's a reason why they don't let me on stage with a mic during worship. But it's not the how 
That's so critical. You see, sometimes we get so caught up on the, on the how. We, we get sucked into the battle of preference, of the style, of the volume, of this, of that. And we, we make it so much about the things that don't actually matter when what really matters is the who we worship. It's not just the how, it's, it's the who. It's the who. You see, passion isn't a bad thing. But passion that has no connection to the person of Jesus does nothing for you. Let me say that again. Passion in your worship that has no connection to the person of Jesus, it does nothing for you. And so we must make sure that that what we worship is actually authentic and real and that there's a connection to the person of Jesus. Here's the third and final thing from this passage. What is that? It's trust is the point. Trust is the point. Why did God want to confront his people? Why why was their worship being called into consideration? It's, It's because he wanted his people to trust him. And that trust was revealed in how they would walk out their lives or how they would live in obedience. You see, trust is the point. My prayer for each and every one of us today is that we would move a few degrees closer to fully trusting Jesus. Maybe you're already there. Guess what? You can continue to move closer and closer to greater expressions of trusting Jesus. And yet I realize that takes courage. This is, though, the work that God has given us to do, to trust him. Jesus says it this way in John chapter 6. Jesus said, this is the work of God, that you what? That you believe in the one that he sent. Tyler, what does God want from me? What does God want from my life? God wants you to trust him. What, not, not just some ideology that you're clinging to, but to trust in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. To put your full weight, to, to actually step out on that bridge. And some people might call it crazy. But understand, though it takes courage, you begin to recognize and your deepening understanding of God's character begins to transform every aspect of your life. Trust is the point. See, Elijah, he, he so trusted God that he stacked the deck in favor of the prophets of Baal. He let them choose the sacrifice first. He let them go first. Oh, by the way, the prophet Baal, he was the God of the sun and the storm. So his thing where he says the God who answers by fire, he's stacking it in their favor, but his trust in God is so established that he's willing to say the God who answers by fire, even though your God is the God of sun and God of storm, Yahweh is the one true God. He's going to answer. Not only that, he, he brings the focus back for the people of Israel to put their trust in the God who made covenant with them. 12 stones, 12 jars of water. What is Elijah doing? He's making something very clear. That this isn't about his trying, it's about his trusting. If Elijah was focused on his trying, he he wouldn't have poured the water. He wouldn't have set those things up. But he understands, no, this is going to be revealed in the God in whom I trust. Understand, it's never your trying that gets you closer to God. It's your trusting. It's never all of our efforts 
that get us closer to God. No, it's our trusting. And in fact, as I talked about obedience earlier, understand obedience is the leg indicator that trust is actually working in my life. Obedience is, is the fruit. It's not the catalyst that gets me in relationship. It's the expression that I'm walking in relationship. Understand today, healthy, intentional families, they require courage. Parents, some of you, you're in the middle of making some courageous decisions. Some of you, you're in the middle of making courageous decisions in, in your career, in your workplace. Others of you, you're facing things in your physical health or your spiritual health, and, and you need courage. Can I remind you today, your courage deepens as you discover God's character. It's not through your trying. It's not through your effort. It's through trusting in him, through trusting in him. See, as I think about this, there's really only two reasons why a follower of Jesus would lack trust, lack courage, ultimately. I know we've all been there. I know we go there from time to time. Why is it that we end up lacking courage, even as a follower of Jesus? Well, the first reason is this, that we don't know God's character. Maybe I put my trust in Jesus. Maybe I prayed the prayer. Maybe I said yes to him. But the problem is I've never actually taken time to discover the character of God. Can I tell you, that's the key to deepening courage in your life. Some of us, we, we've just never discovered God's character. Others of us, the second reality that we would lack it is because we've forgotten. We've lost sight. All the times that God's proven himself, all the times that he's revealed his goodness, his favor, his, his care for us, his compassion for us, we've lost sight of that and we find ourselves bouncing back and forth. Today, my prayer for us is that we would move a few steps closer to trusting God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Dads, it's gonna transform your family, not just for months, but for generations to come, is the courageous decision to develop courage as you lean into the character and the nature of God. Moms, families, business owners, students, the same is true for you. Courage deepens as you discover the character and the nature of God. Today, can you join me for a word of prayer? Can I invite you to bow your heads all across this room? Those who are worshiping with us online, would you join me as well? Today, I'm gonna say a prayer over each of us, but as well, I'm gonna give an opportunity for those who maybe need to make that decision to put their trust in Jesus. What some may call crazy, can I tell you? It's the greatest decision you could ever make. It's gonna transform your life, not just for a moment, but for eternity. Would you join me, Jesus? Thank you for today. Thank you for your love. God, I thank you that you love us enough to confront us because that's really the catalyst for change. And so God, we give you freedom to confront what needs to be confronted in our hearts and our lives, whether it's attitudes or mindsets or actions or activities. God, I pray that we would be people who live surrendered to you. I pray that today we wouldn't just focus on how we worship, but we would focus on who we worship. Lord, that we would understand that scripture, it, it determines, it dictates how you desire to be worshiped. And so we would lean into understanding that more, but ultimately help us to not take lesser things and make them ultimate things in our lives. God, I pray that you would help us to move to greater degrees of trust. Lord, that we would rest in you, that we would trust you. 
And I pray for those who today, they're gonna make that courageous decision to, to put their faith in what they can't see, to trust that God loved them so much that he sent Jesus to live the life we couldn't live, to die the death we all should have died. But Jesus, you rose again in your life today and through that we can experience new life. Today, if that's your desire to know that you've been forgiven, that you are free, that your debt's been paid, you can walk in a new relationship with God. If that's your desire, I'm gonna invite all of Life Center to pray this prayer together with those who are maybe praying this their very first time. Would you join me today? Say, Jesus, thank you for loving me. I put my trust in you. Forgive me of my sin. Make me a new creation and help me to follow you every day of my life. It's in your name, Jesus, I pray. Amen, amen. Can we celebrate those who are making that decision?